We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 327 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. It is nice to be with you. It is nice to finally have that uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial over. The trial, as you likely know, took place in our backyard, Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, The trial was one of the biggest stories in the country for weeks, and I emphasize that word weeks, seven weeks. The trial took seven weeks. Uh, Johnny Depp won. Uh, A jury awarded him $15 million, although Heard got $2 million. It was decided that they had defamed each other uh, to varying extents. But man, a seven-week saga between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard in this defamation trial. When the trial started, the commanders still were the Redskins. Uh, Not really. But you get the idea. Hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode every weekday out by the 5 a.m. hour and often much earlier than that. We have a lot to talk about with our commanders. Congress spoke on Wednesday. Uh, Yes, we on Wednesday got the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial verdict. And we also got Congress speaking Regarding the commanders on Wednesday, the House Committee on Oversight and Reform has requested that Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell appear at a hearing that'll be taking place on June 22nd. The hearing is about the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. What has been anticipated has happened. Congress summoning Dan Snyder to testify, although Congress has requested that Dan testify. Congress has not subpoenaed Dan to testify, at least not yet. Uh, Next segment, I'll give you my reaction to and thoughts on the latest development in congressional involvement with the commanders. What if Dan says yes? What if we do have Dan Snyder 
on Capitol Hill on June 22nd, getting berated by members of Congress. How crazy would that be? Uh, Also on the show, I'm talking Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Uh, They on Wednesday morning were at Commander's OTA practice for a second consecutive day off having not attended last week's OTA practices. Uh, Chase did a post-OTA practice press conference, spoke at length about his recovery from the torn right ACL. Uh, Also talking about the recovery was Ron Rivera. You will hear what Chase and Ron had to say. I'll discuss what they had to say, including why I liked what they had to say. Uh, Speaking of having something to say, Mike Rizzo on Wednesday morning had something to say about the future of Juan Soto with the Nationals. And what Mike said became national news. I'll play for you what Mike said and react to what he said. And yes, I will discuss uh, the Nats getting ripped at the National League East leading New York Mets on Wednesday afternoon, a 5 nothing loss that concluded a vicious three-game sweep of the Nats at the Mets. The Nats in the series got outscored by 23 runs, 28-5. Uh, and I'll talk Orioles late in the show. Speaking of outscoring, a dominant win for the O's on Wednesday night, 9-2 the final over the Seattle Mariners at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Excellent offensive game for the O's. A lot to like. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Mike on the Commander Stadium Saga. Writes Mike, the point of all of this stadium stuff is that no one will do business with Dan Snyder Incorporated because of how revolting Dan Snyder himself is to everyone. His name, his image, his voice, his actions, all of those things <laughs> make people sick. I'm talking physical revulsion, and I think that his wife and everyone else is guilty by association, despicable all. This, I think, is what ultimately will move him out eventually, either by the owners or he sells on his own. No one will help him build the stadium that he wants ever. Uh, Thank you for the email, Mike. Well, here's what we know so far. Nobody has helped Dan Snyder build the stadium that he wants. Uh, Now, that can change, but no doubt. Uh, So far in this stadium process, which has taken eight years and counting, no deal has been struck. And for all of the news in the stadium saga over the last few weeks, it really doesn't feel like we're any closer to a stadium deal being struck. Email from Billy D in NC on what's going on with the commander's interior defensive lineman, past and present, uh, writes Billy, congrats on the 300-plus shows. You should be proud of your consistently high-quality and entertaining podcast. Well, thank you, Billy D. Very nice of you. Uh, continues, Billy D. There has been significant Washington fan discussion regarding the release of Matt Ioannidis, the non-signing of Tim Settle, and the non-offer of an extension to Deron Payne. Wasn't there a story in the past about Washington defensive linemen not liking the techniques being taught by Sam Mills, the defensive line coach? If so, maybe the moves with respect to Ioannidis, Settle, and even Payne are based on Ron Rivera's desire to change the culture. Could Ron and the coaches be saying that it's fine if you don't like the way that we do things, but you will not be a part of this team for long with that kind of an attitude? If so, I fully support it what Ron is doing. Based on your discussion with Doc Walker, I suspect that he also would support what Ron is doing. Thoughts? Uh, Excellent topic, Billy D. I'm glad that you brought this up. So Sam Mills III, SM3. Uh, He is the commander's defensive line coach. He is the son of Sam Mills Jr., who was a great linebacker for the New Orleans Saints and Carolina Panthers from 1986 
through 1997. Uh, Sam Mills III is, in fact, a commander. Uh, he was on the Panthers coaching staff from 2005 to 2019, working with Ron Rivera for the entirety of his tenure as Panthers head coach. Mills was the Panthers assistant defensive line coach 2011 to 2018 and was the Panthers defensive line coach in 2018 and 2019. He was promoted to defensive line coach in December 2018. Now, what's also interesting with Sam Mills III is that he, in 2019, also served as the Panthers game management coach. Uh, Per his bio on the Panthers official website, Mills, in 2019, assisted Ron Rivera with, quote, clock management, replay challenges, and other situational football analysis, end quote. Uh, So Sam Mills III seems to be a sharp guy. You know, there has never been a formal report or anything like that on players not liking Sam Mills III, but specific to Matt Ioannidis, I can tell you that he was no longer happy playing for Washington. Uh, There was an adjustment in 2020 that the interior defensive lineman needed to make in terms of how they played with what was, of course, a new defensive scheme for Washington at the time, right? With a new head coach in Ron Rivera, a new defensive coordinator in Jack Del Rio, and a new defensive line coach in Sam Mills III. And, you know, this new scheme did take some getting used to. And I think that with Ioannidis, the getting used to never really happened. And Maybe Sam Mills III was a part of that. But if we are being fair about Sam Mills III, he deserves at least some of the credit for the blossoming of Jonathan Allen. I mean, Allen, over the last two seasons, 2020 and 2021, has become one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL. And that rise coincides precisely with the arrivals of, right, Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, and Sam Mills III. You know, I think about the departure of Tim Settle. That, to me, was about money. You know, the commander's not wanting to pay Settle even decent money. I don't think that the commander's thought as much of Settle as a lot of us did. I mean, Settle last season barely played. Tim Settle in the 2021 regular season played on just 18.97% of Washington's defensive snaps. That was it. Uh, the curious situation to me is the Duran Payne situation. The commander is not even offering Payne a contract extension this offseason. It seems to suggest that they're just not that interested in keeping him beyond this coming season, which is a contract season for him. But the team does value Payne enough to have exercised his fifth-year option last offseason, and the team values Payne enough to have played him a lot. I mean, Payne for the 2021 regular season led all Washington defensive linemen in defensive snaps, 75 0.61%. You don't play a guy that much if you don't think that he's any good. What has happened with the commanders along the interior of the defensive line is odd. And this is one of the more peculiar things about the commanders' 2022 offseason. They released Matt Ioannidis. They allowed Tim Settle to walk via unrestricted free agency. The commanders are not even offering Deron Payne a contract extension. Now, the team did take Fedarian Mathis in the second round of the 2022 NFL draft, so maybe the commanders very much see him as a key piece moving forward, but there now certainly seems to be a lack of depth for the team along the interior defensive line, and that lack of depth was avoidable. Like, why didn't this work out in a way to where, okay, you don't want to extend Payne, fine, but then you re-sign Settle? you know, or you don't release Ioannidis. The lack of depth seemed avoidable. Well, if you or someone who you care about has been injured due to a circumstance that was avoidable due to the negligence of someone else, you should contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. 
Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. Understand, Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. McDonald versus City Hospital, a $1.75 million verdict in a medical malpractice case. Bell versus Anova Health Systems, a $3 million verdict for paralysis due to failure to diagnose a medical condition. Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, Wednesday was supposed to be a football day for the Commanders, especially with that potential vote by the Virginia State Senate on a stadium funding plan for the Commanders not taking place. Wednesday set up to be a day of nothing but football conversation, actual football conversation regarding the Commanders as they on Wednesday morning conducted an OTA practice that was open to the media and the practice was followed by a number of post-practice press conferences. But of course, as you likely know by now, the conversation with the Commanders is almost never just about football. And we on Wednesday morning, as the Commanders OTA practice was ending and the press conferences were beginning, got a big announcement from Congress. Yes, you know that entity, Congress, a branch of our government, Congress, which has been investigating the commanders for their workplace misconduct scandal and financial scandal. Uh, It had been a while since we had heard from Congress regarding the commanders, but that changed on Wednesday morning. Uh, Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform on Wednesday morning put out a press release. The press release announced that Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and Representative Raja Krishnamurthy, chairman of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy, had sent letters to Commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell to request that they appear before the committee at a hearing on June 22nd. Yes, Congress is going to be holding another hearing on our commanders. The hearing in the press release was described as, quote, the next step in the committee's months-long investigation into the commander's hostile workplace culture and will also examine the NFL's handling of allegations of workplace misconduct, the NFL's role in setting and enforcing standards across the league, and legislative reforms needed to address these issues across the NFL and other workplaces. And quote, uh, said Chairwoman Maloney in the press release, quote, 
Since we launched our investigation in October, the committee's goal has been to uncover the truth about the culture of harassment and abuse at the Washington Commanders, to hold accountable those responsible, and to better protect workers across the country. The committee has worked tirelessly to obtain critical information, including the findings of the internal investigation conducted by attorney Beth Wilkinson, only to be met with obstruction from the commanders and the NFL at every turn. We must have transparency and accountability, which is why we are calling on Mr. Goodell and Mr. Snyder, oh, he'll like that, uh, to answer the questions they have dodged for the last seven months. The hearing will explore how Congress can act to prevent employers from silencing victims of workplace misconduct and ensure that what happened at the commander's organization does not happen again. End quote. Said Chairman Krista Morthy in the press release, quote, for seven months, the committee has been stonewalled by NDAs and other tools to evade accountability. Mr. Snyder, there's that phrase again, and Mr. Goodell need to appear before the committee to address these issues and answer our questions about the pervasive workplace misconduct at the Washington Commanders and how the NFL addressed these issues. End quote. One more statement for you. This from the Commanders themselves. Quote, the commanders have assisted the NFL in cooperating with all prior requests from the House Oversight and Reform Committee. We look forward to responding directly to the committee's invitation in a timely manner. End quote. So congressional hearing number two on the commanders is coming. So nice. Let's do it twice. Uh, congressional hearing number one on the commanders happened this past February 3rd. Remember, the day after, the very next day after the team announced its new name as the Commanders. The new name of Commanders was announced on February 2nd, a.k.a. 2.2.22, and the initial congressional hearing on the Commanders' workplace misconduct scandal was conducted on February 3rd. Uh, now, that hearing was labeled by Congress as a hybrid roundtable. Uh, it was at the hybrid roundtable that we got explosive new allegations against Dan Snyder, particularly what former Redskins employee Tiffany Johnston alleged. Uh, Johnston said that she, at a work dinner in 2005 or 2006, was, quote, strategically, end quote, seated by Dan Snyder so that he could put, quote, his hand on the middle of my thigh until I physically removed it, end quote. She said that this was done purposely and without consent as he touched her in a sexual manner. Johnston alleged that later that night, Dan, quote, aggressively pushed, end quote, her toward his limo before his attorney intervened, advising Dan not to engage in the, quote, very bad idea, end quote. And Jason Friedman, Johnston's former boss and the whistleblower in the financial scandal, did say in a letter to Representative Carolyn B. Maloney that he witnessed Dan try to grab Johnston and push her to his limo. So that came out of congressional hearing number one. What or oh, what could come out of congressional hearing number two? Well, one thing that was very notable about this announcement by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform on Wednesday morning was that Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell are being requested to appear before the committee at a hearing on June 22nd. Congress has subpoena power, but for now, Congress isn't using that subpoena power. Now, that could change. You know, Dan and Roger could deny the request, and then that might prompt Congress to use its subpoena power. But in reading what the purpose 
of this June 22nd hearing is, I think that what the hearing would be, were it to include Dan and Roger, would be what a lot of these congressional hearings are. Public scoldings, okay? I mean, that's what this would be. Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell getting scolded by members of Congress. I mean, the hearing would be Democrats in Congress scolding Dan and Roger. And by the way, Dan and Roger are worthy of plenty of scolding. Hear me loudly and clearly on that. But, you know, you would have Democrats scolding Dan and Roger. You would have Republicans in Congress scolding Democrats in Congress for holding the hearing to begin with. And there would be some embarrassing moments for Dan and Roger, especially potentially Dan, who, as we know, isn't necessarily at his best in public speaking situations. But here's what I come back to. Ultimately, will anything tangible or concrete come from the hearing, even if Dan and Roger participate in the hearing? I mean, maybe the answer to that question is yes. But, you know, you think about this, especially from a football standpoint, right? The hearing isn't going to end with Congress ousting Dan Snyder as owner of the commanders. Congress cannot do that. This isn't to say that the hearing can't or won't be a big deal. I mean, the visual, the theater of Dan Snyder appearing before Congress, that by itself would be an all-timer. But it's far from a certainty that this hearing, even if it includes Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell, is going to lead to anything substantial. Like, at the end of the day, I do wonder if this hearing and ultimately all of this congressional involvement in the commander scandals is just going to prove to be a lot of noise and maybe worthy noise, but not actually accomplish anything. We'll see, okay? We don't know. But, you know, it's possible that this hearing is the endgame for congressional involvement in the commander scandals, especially as we do get closer to the midterm elections in November. And there remains this belief by some, who knows if this is an accurate belief, but there remains this belief that the House of Representatives is going to be flipping back to Republican control, you know, that a red wave is coming come the midterm elections in November. I, on Tuesday's show, episode 325, discussed the partisan nature of Congress's investigation into the commanders with Michael Schaefer, senior editor at Politico, and he echoed what others have said. If the Republicans flip the House in November, then Congress's investigation of the commanders is over. Simple as that. And so if this June 22nd hearing is the endgame for the Democrats in Congress with the commanders, okay. You know, I do think that Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell can survive the hearing. I mean, they certainly have survived everything else so far uh, with these commander scandals. It's going to be interesting whether Dan and Roger adhere to the request to attend the hearing. It's going to be interesting if Dan and Roger dare Congress to use its subpoena power. Uh, Representative Roger Christomorthy did speak to ESPN, said, quote, it's in their best interest to come and tell their own side of the story in a manner they would find illuminating for us. What I find often on Capitol Hill is that when a party comes forward voluntarily as opposed to being subpoenaed, it ends up having a better chance of being able to explain the situation rather than events overtaking it, end quote. So that seems to be Krista Morthy saying, we don't want to exercise our subpoena power, but I suppose we will if we have to. We shall see. But at the end of the day, where is all of this going? I mean, we have this second investigation of Dan Snyder and the commanders going on, right? The Mary Jo White investigation into the Tiffany Johnston allegations. But as I have discussed, if you know Mary Jo White's history, uh, you know that it is far from a given that she's going to like hammer Dan Snyder. 
So this announcement on Wednesday morning of this June 22nd hearing certainly was significant, okay, no doubt. But to me, if you're Dan Snyder, the fear, if you want to call it that, with this hearing is public shaming more than anything else, as opposed to like an actual outcome of the hearing. And if public shaming is the worst of this, then that's something that Dan Snyder clearly can survive because he has survived that for years. So I think that in a lot of ways, this announcement of this June 22nd hearing sounds like a bigger deal than it actually was. Ultimately, congressional involvement in the commander scandals could end up being a whole lot more bark than bite because ultimately Congress can't force the NFL to do anything with Dan Snyder. The fate of Dan Snyder as owner of the Commanders ultimately comes down to the other NFL owners. It is as simple as that. What Representative Carolyn B. Maloney and Representative Roger Christomorthy think about Dan Snyder doesn't matter to the NFL. Dan deserves to be scolded. He deserves to be shamed for the ridiculous conduct that was allowed to go on with the Redskins for years. Remember, Dan has denied allegations specific to him, but he has never denied the overarching idea that workplace misconduct took place with the Redskins. But this congressional hearing on June 22nd, to me, feels like it has a really good chance to be a whole lot of talk and not much more when it comes to actual action being taken against Dan Snyder. Maybe the hearing ends up being what pushes other NFL owners over the edge in terms of wanting to vote Dan out as owner of the commanders. But short of that, what exactly are the potential major ramifications of this hearing for Dan Snyder? Ask yourself that question. But yeah, Dan appearing before Congress at a hearing, all-time occurrence, if that happens, okay? All-time occurrence. Just the vision of Dan sitting there getting yelled at by members of Congress. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. How the heck did we get to this point with our NFL team? Unbelievable. Up next, I'm talking Chase Young and Montez Sweat off them attending Commander's OTA practices so far this week. Uh, Chase on Wednesday morning did a post-OTA practice press conference. Some good stuff from Chase. Also some good stuff from Commander's head coach Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning from his post-OTA practice press conference. You know, there is a theme that has emerged regarding Chase's recovery from his torn right ACL. I am a fan of this theme. I'll discuss that. A notable comp for Chase Young and much more after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need Indeed. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So we on Wednesday morning had a Commander's Organized Team Activity Practice, a Commander's OTA practice that was open to the media. Uh, this week is week two of Commander's OTA practices this offseason. The three sets of Commander's OTA practices this offseason are May 23rd through the 26th, May 31st through June 2nd, and June 6th through June 8th. One Commander's OTA practice per week is open to the media. Uh, still not attending Commander's OTA practices is receiver Terry McLaurin, who is in the midst of a negotiation for a big money contract extension. Presumably, he doesn't want to risk suffering a serious injury at an OTA practice, and that's why he's not participating in the OTA practices. And I don't blame Terry for that. Terry, to me, has earned a benefit of the doubt on something like him not attending OTA practices. Uh, interior defensive lineman Duran Payne is attending Commander's OTA practices this offseason, but he on Wednesday morning, as was the case last week, did not participate in team drills as Duran, like Terry, is entering a contract season. And as was the case on Tuesday, both of the Commander's top two edge defenders, Chase Young and Montez Sweat, were in attendance at the Commander's OTA practice on Wednesday. Uh, both Chase and Montez did not attend last week's Commander's OTA practices, as we discussed on Wednesday's show, episode 326. Chase and Montez being in attendance at these OTA practices is significant and is a good thing. I'm not going to rehash everything right now, but suffice it to say, each guy showing up on Tuesday was not just a one-day show-your-face kind of thing. No, each guy, again, was in attendance on Wednesday. Uh, Chase on Wednesday morning did a post-OTA practice press conference, even though he can't actually practice right now, right, uh, due to his recovery from his torn right ACL. Uh, this was Chase on Wednesday morning on how his injury recovery is going. It's going good. Uh, you know, what they say, first big injury. Um, you know, ain't, ain't nothing bringing me down. Feel good, feel good to be back, getting around the gas watch him run around, trying to give him all the energy I can give him. So Chase Young suffered his torn right ACL this past November 14th. Uh, the injury happened in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. Uh, November 14th was less than seven months ago. Uh, the Commander's 2022 regular season opener is on September 11th, home to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Whether Chase will be fully healthy for Week 1 of the 2022 season is up in the air. I mean, we just don't know. Uh, but I'll tell you something that I really like. I really like that neither Chase Young nor his head coach, Rod Rivera, is putting a timetable 
on the recovery. No timetable, no dates, no nothing. Chase and Ron are speaking confidently about Chase's recovery, but Chase and Ron are speaking about Chase's recovery in a very measured way. This is the exact opposite of what we had the last time that a star player for the team, who the team took with a number two overall pick in an NFL draft, was coming back from a torn right ACL. The Redskins took a certain quarterback, Robert Griffin III, with a number two pick in the 2012 NFL draft, just as the Skins took Chase Young with the number two pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Robert, in the final game of his rookie season, suffered a torn right ACL and LCL. And then what happened in the lead up to the 2013 season? All in for week one. Who could ever forget all in for week one, a campaign unlike no other in Washington, D.C. sports history. We at one point had Dr. James Andrews, the famous orthopedist who had a relationship with the Skins for years, call RG3 superhuman (laughs) in what Robert was doing in his recovery. The hype was out of control, the expectations were enormous, and the results ended up being a big flop. Uh, Even though those results being a big flop had more to do with RG3's deteriorating relationships with the Redskins head coach at the time, Mike Shanahan, and the Skins offensive coordinator at the time, Kyle Shanahan. Well, there is zero sense right now of anything close to an all-in for week one campaign with Chase Young. This was Chase Young on Wednesday morning on where his recovery is at. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm running, uh, you know. I've, I've squatted, you know, some substantial amount of weight, you know. I ain't going to put no numbers out there. Um, but, you know, it's, everything is going as planned. Um, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, uh, and, and I'm confident on everything I'm doing going forward. All right, so right there was a confident Chase Young, but that was by no means a boisterous Chase Young or a super cocky Chase Young or a declarative Chase Young. Here was Chase Young on Wednesday morning on when he'll know that he's ready to play. I guess I'm just going to have to feel it. You know, it's just one of them things. Uh, I can just tell as I'm getting better. It's all about feeling. Um, and definitely confidence. Um, and, yes, yeah, so I think, you know, the time I will know, uh, I'm going to get it from, you know, probably just how I feel. All right. Again, Chase Young right there. Confident, but not overly confident. He isn't being, you know, bombastic about his comeback. I liked what I heard from Chase Young on Wednesday morning about the recovery. You know, instead of channeling an inner Robert Griffin III, Chase channeled an inner Jim Zorn. Chase stayed medium in talking about his recovery from the torn right ACL. Very well done. Uh, Along those same lines, Rod Rivera. So Ron, during his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning, continued to refuse to put a timetable on Chase Young's recovery. Here was Ron on Wednesday morning on if it's still too early to say when Chase might be able to start fully practicing. Well, to me it is. I mean, I'm not the doctor, obviously. Um, you know, Doc is, 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 has been pleased with it. They, there's a plan. They're working on that plan. Um, and, and we'll see where he is once we get ready for training camp. All right. And here was Ron Rivera later in his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning on if Chase Young is where Ron and the doctors expected Chase to be at this point in his recovery. I, I believe so. I believe where, what he's doing, again, is, is, is the plan. Whatever 
the plan is because I, that's beyond me. Um, my understanding is he's following the plan. All right. Beautiful. I mean, as a fan of the commanders, I loved those answers from Ron Rivera. No timetable, no expectations, express confidence, okay, but be vague with that confidence. This is straight out of the Joe Gibbs playbook, okay? The Joe Gibbs playbook on just about everything was under promise and over deliver. Coach Joe never was cocky, at least not publicly, all right? Joe, during his time as Redskins head coach, talked about every opponent as if it was the greatest team ever, okay? He constantly discussed the Skins' problems and concerns and worries and injuries and made it sound like the Skins had no chance of winning. And then, of course, what would happen? The Skins would go out and smash said opponents, okay? (laughs) Yes, there it is. The classic Joe Gibbs laugh. Joe Gibbs would under-promise and over-deliver, and then behind the scenes, he probably was laughing like crazy. (laughs) Yes, Joe. Hello. Thank you. But I love that approach. I'm a big believer in that approach. For those of you who know your United States of America history, one of the great presidents in the history of our country, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt had a famous approach, speak softly and carry a big stick. Okay, it's a great mantra in life. That is a great philosophy by which to abide in sports and in life. Speak softly and carry a big stick. Look, there is a lot of pressure on Chase Young to have a big 2022 season. His 2020 rookie season was great. His 2021 season was a major disappointment. A second consecutive disappointing season for Chase Young, even with that season being his first season off a torn right ACL, uh, would not be good. All right. And let's be honest about things. If Chase Young in the 2022 season has a second consecutive disappointing season, then the B word bust is going to start to really gain traction, fair or not. And so what Chase doesn't need is increased pressure and expectation in this recovery from the torn right ACL. So bravo to him and bravo to Ron Rivera for how they've been discussing Chase's recovery. Now, in terms of expectation for Chase Young in the 2022 season, so I, a few minutes ago, did the compare and contrast between Chase and RG3. Consider this comp, Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa, like Chase Young, is an edge defender who went to Ohio State. Nick Bosa, like Chase Young, was taken with a number two overall pick in an NFL draft. The San Francisco 49ers took Bosa with the number two pick in the 2019 NFL Draft. Nick Bosa, like Chase Young, when Associated Press Defensive Rookie of the Year for a rookie season in which he played a major role in elevating a defense that had been terrible the previous season. Nick Bosa, like Chase Young, suffered a torn ACL in his second NFL season. A lot, and I mean a lot of parallels between Chase Young and Nick Bosa. Well, what happened with Nick Bosa last season, his third NFL season, and his first season off his torn ACL. Nick Bosa was a monster. Nick Bosa finished the 2021 regular season at number four in the NFL with 15 and a half sacks. Nick Bosa finished the 2021 regular season at number three in the NFL with 32 quarterback hits. And Nick Bosa finished the 2021 regular season tied for number one in the NFL with 21 tackles for loss. So if the Chase Young-Nick Bosa parallels continue, then Chase is poised for a huge 2022 season. And wouldn't it be awesome 
if Chase ended up having a huge 2022 season. Uh, as for Montez Sweat, so he too attended Commander's OTA practices on Tuesday and Wednesday. Here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on what he's looking to see from Montez this coming season. I think his presence, um, I, I think as far as his skill set goes, it's, it's understanding how to use it. He's got tremendous skill set, he really does, and, and, and as he continues to grow and learn and understand how to use it, he becomes more and more dynamic as well. Um, and I think it's the same thing with Chase. Once we get Chase back on the field, it's understanding how to use his skill set, not just the raw power that he has, but the athleticism. Um, and, and for Montez, it's the same thing. But I think you guys notice he, he brings a little bit of energy. You hear his voice out there. You hear it and how it ramps things up, um, which we've got to learn to keep it down. You know, we're trying not to get anybody hurt right now. We're really just trying to learn and grow and develop. Yeah, so next offseason, potentially, will be Montez Sweat's turn for a big money contract extension. Uh, last offseason, it was interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen's turn. This offseason is Terry McLaurin's turn. Next offseason sets up to be Montez Sweat's turn. Uh, the commanders on April 27th announced that they had exercised the fifth-year option in Montez's rookie contract. Uh, no surprise, we knew that that was coming. It had been reported that that was coming. Uh, Sweat's fifth-year option, remember, is for the 2023 season. So next season, it will be a contract season for Montez Sweat. Now, Montez Sweat last season overall was disappointing, but his 2021 season wasn't nearly as disappointing as Chase Young's was. So Sweat in the 2021 regular season played in just 10 games. He missed five consecutive games due to being on the reserve injured list due to a fractured jaw that he suffered in the 17-10 loss at the Denver Broncos in week eight and then being on the reserve COVID-19 list. And then Sweat was inactive for each of Washington's final two games of the 2021 regular season off the shooting death of his brother, Anthony Sweat, last December 28th. And yet, Montez Sweat, over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season, had five sacks, which ranked number two on Washington. Now, a total of five sacks is nothing special, I'll grant you that, but he did finish second on the team in sacks. A sweat over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season totaled 24 pressures per sport radar. Uh, that ranked number three on Washington, and Sweat was number one on Washington with an average of 2.4 pressures per game. Uh, sweat over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season had 13 quarterback hits, which ranked number three on Washington. Sweat over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season had three forced fumbles, which ranked number one on Washington. And his overall grade for pro football focus for the 2021 regular season was 75.6. Not great, but not awful. So Montez Sweat did not have the 2021 season that we all wanted him to have, but his 2021 season wasn't as disappointing as Chase Young's 2021 season. And here would be the bottom line, right? The idea with 2022 is for both Chase Young and Montez Sweat to be great. Neither guy was great in 2021. Each guy, of course, has the potential to be great. And the commanders are so much better off if each guy is great in the 2022 season. Well, wrapping up on Wednesday afternoon, it was a total humbling of the Nationals. Uh, they got wrecked in a three-game series at the National League East leading New York Mets. Monday night, a 13-5 loss. Tuesday night, a 10-0 loss. Wednesday afternoon, a 5-0 loss. So the Nats got swept in three games at the Mets. The Nats in the three-game sweep got outscored 
28-5. That, my friends, is a humbling. Uh, there certainly have been some ugly losses for the rebuilding Nats so far this season. There were ugly losses for the Nats last season, but this series at the Mets was the Nats' worst series of the season, and honestly, I have a hard time remembering another Nats series in recent Nats history as bad as this one ended up being for the Nats. But again, three-game sweep at the Mets, outscored over the course of the three games, 28-5. Uh, the Nats this season now are a National League worst 18 and 34. That works out to a winning percentage of just 346, which puts the Nats on pace to lose 106 games this season. Now, this Nats game on Wednesday afternoon was only part of the Nats news on Wednesday because we on Wednesday morning had a Nats item that became a national item. We had a Nationals item that became a national item, if that makes sense. Uh, Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan on Wednesday morning made national headlines by saying, quote, we are not trading Juan Soto, end quote. Now, this requires some context. So the notion of the Nats trading Juan Soto has become even more of a thing lately because of ESPN, MLB Insider, Buster Olney. Uh, Buster keeps writing things about the Nats potentially trading Juan Soto. But the thing is, if you have been reading what Buster has been writing about the Nats potentially trading Soto, you know that what Buster has been writing is purely speculative. He hasn't actually been reporting anything. You know, Buster, like a lot of us, is in the business of having to pump out content. So he's got to put stuff out there in terms of articles and pieces and columns. And, you know, he's writing a lot about Juan Soto. And what if the Nats trade Juan Soto? And to whom? Might the Nats trade Juan Soto if, in fact, the Nats decide to trade Juan Soto? You know, that kind of a thing. And so these constant Juan Soto items that Buster has been writing haven't been reports. Uh, These items have been just like, you know, conversation pieces, basically. But that hasn't stopped the Juan Soto trade talk. And people see Buster only writing this stuff and they say, well, you know, Buster only MLB insider. He's covered baseball for years. What does he know that maybe the rest of us do not know? And so Mike Rizzo on Wednesday morning got asked about this, and here was the exchange. You click on ESPN.com, and the main story is, what if Juan Soto gets traded to the 29 other teams in Major League Baseball? Are you trading Juan Soto? We are not trading Juan Soto. We made it clear to his agent and to the player. Uh, and, uh, you know, these are, you know, these are all, uh, you know, I understand we, uh, you know, these these uh, journalists have to uh, you know they've got to fill a, a blank sheet of paper every day. It's a hmm. it's a good uh, it's a good thing to uh, to get some uh, to get some attention on on a story. But uh, uh, we have every intention of building this uh, this team around Juan Soto, and, uh, and we've we've spoken to his agent many many times. Recently, sat with him when he was in Washington D.C. Made it clear to him that uh, that we are we are not interested in trading him and. Uh, uh, I guess the rest of the world just doesn't believe it. So uh, that, that, that's our position. All right. So said Mike Rizzo, quote, we are not trading Juan Soto. We've made it clear to his agent and to the player. We have every intention of building this team around Juan Soto. We've spoken to his agent many, many times, recently sat with him when he was in Washington, D.C., made it clear to him that we are not interested in trading him. And I guess the rest of the world just doesn't believe it. But that's our position End quote. Now, the key aspect to what Mike Rizzo said right there was, we are not trading 
Juan Soto, okay? Note the verb conjugation. We are not trading Juan Soto, as in we currently aren't trading Juan Soto. At this present time, we are not trading Juan Soto. Mike, at no point in what he said, said that the Nats will never trade Juan Soto. Uh, Mike, in what he said, said what he has said before. We want to sign Juan Soto to a contract extension. This really isn't new, what Mike Rizzo said on Wednesday morning. What Mike Rizzo said on Wednesday morning really wasn't the huge deal that some made it out to be. And I think what has been the case remains the case. Mike Rizzo does want to sign Juan Soto to a contract extension. But I think what's also true is that until the Nats' ownership uncertainty is resolved, and until the Nats start showing some signs that they're not going to be really bad for multiple seasons to come, there's no way that Soto is signing a contract extension with the Nats. And even if those things weren't the case, it still might be unlikely that Soto would be signing a contract extension with the Nats. He's a megastar. He has Scott Boris as an agent. I mean, the likelihood with a guy like this is he goes to free agency. Now, you as a team can be ultra aggressive and throw at the player a ton of money and hope that that works. And sometimes that does work. And maybe that would work with Juan Soto. But especially with this ownership uncertainty for the Nats, it's just so hard right now to see Juan Soto saying, yeah, okay, all of these question marks in the air with the Nats. Yeah, I'll go ahead and commit to playing for you guys for the next 10 to 13 years. Like, really? That's probably not going to be happening given the current environment. Uh, And so unfortunately for Mike Rizzo, over the next year or two, he may well have to become open to trading Juan Soto if Mike isn't already open to trading Juan Soto. And oh, by the way, this presumes that Mike is still the Nats GM. And that's up in the air right now, because we right now are in the midst of the final guaranteed season of Mike's contract. The Nats have a 2023 club option for Mike's contract. And the reporting, by the way, has been that the option needs to be exercised by the 2022 MLB All-Star break. So there is a lot up in the air right now with the Nats. Uh, In the meantime, Juan Soto is a part of a Nats offense that right now is not doing well. Uh, The Nats in their 5-0 loss at the Mets on Wednesday afternoon. No runs, a mere six hits, a double and five singles, six walks, that was good, but 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. Uh, Soto on Wednesday afternoon as the starting right fielder and number two batter. Uh, Yes, he was back to being the Nats' number two batter. 0 for 4 with a walk and two strikeouts. And he had another rough defensive moment. Uh, So Soto drew the walk in the top of the third, a two-out eight-pitch walk, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. But Soto, in a Mets one-run seventh, took a very poor route to a lazy fly ball that ended up falling in front of him for a one-out single by Starling Marte. I tell you, Juan Soto has not looked good in right field this season. Soto entered Wednesday with minus two defensive runs saved in right field this season. The Nats on Wednesday afternoon were quite sloppy defensively. Uh, The Nats' starting pitcher on Wednesday afternoon was Evan Lee. More on him in a bit. Uh, Lee, in the bottom of the fourth, allowed two runs on two singles and a walk, including a one-out two-run single by Tomas Nito, on which the Nats' starting center fielder on Wednesday afternoon, D. Strange Gordon, committed a fielding error. Uh, He allowed the baseball to bounce off his glove as the ball rolled toward him. Uh, here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Davey not at all happy with the Nats defense on Wednesday afternoon. The walks and the defense, you know, um, two bad combinations. So, I mean, we got we got to play better on defense and we got to limit the walks. Um, you know, the hitting, like I've always said, the hitting comes and goes. 
uh, you know, it's part of the game. But you, you got to do three constants. Play defense, run the bases well, and, and pitch well. You know, and to, uh, just having the day, we didn't two or three things we didn't do well. Yeah, uh, some good news for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon was that Nelson Cruz was back. Uh, Cruz did not play in the 10 nothing Nats loss at the Mets on Tuesday night due to a left ankle contusion. But Cruz on Wednesday afternoon as an Nats starting DH and number three batter, 0 for 1 with three two-out walks. Uh, he drew three two-out walks in the game. Uh, the Nats, two Hernandez's, Yadiel and Cesar, struggled on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez on Wednesday afternoon as the Nats starting left fielder and number five batter, 0 for 3 with a walk. He left five men on base. He also had a rough defensive moment. Yadiel has really cooled off over these last few weeks, by the way. Uh, Cesar Hernandez on Wednesday afternoon as the Nats starting second baseman and number one batter, 0 for 5 with two strikeouts. Uh, The two most productive batters for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon were Josh Bell and Riley Adams. Uh, Bell was the Nats starting first baseman and number four batter, two for three with a double, a single, and a walk. Uh, Bell in the top of the third drew a two-out four-pitch walk. Bell in the top of the fifth had a two-out opposite field double to left field, and Bell in the top of the eighth had a leadoff single through the right side of the infield. And Adams on Wednesday afternoon has an ad starting catcher and number eight batter, two for three with two singles. Uh, he in the top of the fourth had a went-out first pitch opposite field single to right center field, and Adams in the top of the sixth had a two-out single to center field on a 1-2 pitch. Uh, also getting a hit for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon was Luis Garcia. Yes, I said Luis Garcia. He finally is back at the major league level for the Nats. So the Nats on Wednesday morning play shortstop Alcides Escobar on the 10-day injured list with a right hamstring strain that he suffered on Tuesday night. And the Nats on Wednesday morning recalled infielder Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester. Uh, Luis Garcia has been a popular topic for many Nats fans so far this season. He is a younger player. A guy like Alcides Escobar, of course, is an older player. And Luis Garcia has been tearing it up for AAA Rochester. Uh, Garcia this season, over 193 plate appearances for Rochester, batting average of 314, on base percentage of 368, slugging percentage of 531. I mean, those are really good numbers. The concern with Garcia has been his defense, especially at shortstop. He can also play second base, but Garcia offensively had been terrific for Rochester. Uh, Now, Davey Martinez in his pregame session with reporters on Wednesday morning said that Garcia will be the Nats' starting shortstop for the duration of his stint with the Nats at the major league level. So this sounds like if Luis Garcia plays well, the Nats' starting shortstop job now is his. Uh, Like I said, he is young. Uh, This season is Garcia's age 22 season. He's also not some like top 100 prospect or anything like that. And he has struggled at the major league level. Uh, Garcia over various major league stints with the Nats over the 2020 and 2021 seasons, uh, over 386 plate appearances, batting average of just 254, on base percentage of just 285, slugging percentage of just 395. But Luis Garcia is young. He does have talent. Uh, the Nats are atrocious. Uh, so the Nats should be playing Luis Garcia at shortstop as opposed to playing and Alcides Escobar. Uh, Garcia on Wednesday afternoon has an at starting shortstop and number seven batter, one for four with a single and three strikeouts. Uh, he in the top of the fourth had a one out single through the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch. Uh, So I mentioned Evan Lee. Uh, He was an ad-starting pitcher on Wednesday afternoon. He made a spot start, although this could end up being uh, more than just him making one start for the Nats 
at the major league level in this go-round for Lee with the Nats. Uh, he on Wednesday afternoon did about what you would expect, two runs in three and two-thirds innings. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday morning recalled Lee from A Harrisburg. Uh, the Nats took Lee in the 15th round of the 2018 MLB draft out of the University of Arkansas. This season is his age 25 season, and he on Wednesday afternoon made his major league regular season debut. This tells you all that you need to know about the Nats' lack of pitching depth in the organization, that a guy like Evan Lee was a guy who was summoned to start game three of a series at the first place Mets. Uh, Lee on Wednesday afternoon, like I said, two runs, three and two-thirds innings. He gave up four hits, all of which were singles. He issued three walks and a hit by pitch. He recorded two strikeouts. He began his outing with three scoreless innings, although not a single one of those innings was a clean inning. And then Lee in the bottom of the fourth allowed two runs on two singles and a walk. Uh, here was Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon uh, on Lee. Davey was complimentary of Lee, so much so that Davey said that Lee probably will be making another start for the Nats uh, in their next turn of the rotation. Here you go. Uh, I like what I saw out of, out of uh, Lee. He was he was good. I mean, you know, he threw some strikes. He's got good stuff. You know, so um, he'll get he'll probably get another opportunity in five days to go back out to start again. So, but you know, I like him, man. He's very he was very poised. Uh, you know, he he mentioned some things you know after he came out, which I, I liked you know, with our conversation. So, um, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him pitch again. Yeah, so at least according to Davey Martinez, we'll be seeing some more of Evan Lee as a starting pitcher for the Nats. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday morning uh, also optioned another reliever to AAA Rochester. The Nats optioned reliever Francisco Perez back to AAA Rochester. And then on Wednesday afternoon, six Nats relievers combined to allow three runs in four and a third innings. I tell you, the Nats right now are scuffling when it comes to uh, fresh arms. And this bullpen outing overall on Wednesday afternoon did the Nats no favors. Again, six Nats relievers had to pitch in this game. The six relievers only covered four and a third innings. Now, some guys were good. Victor Rano tossed one and a third perfect innings, although he did throw a wild pitch. Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a scoreless bottom of the sixth. But Steve Ciszek in the bottom of the seventh was charged with a run, got just one out as he gave up two singles and issued a wild pitch. Uh, Kyle Finnegan in the Mets, one run seventh, faced two batters, got the final two outs, although the first out came on an RBI sack fly. And then Jordan Weems in the bottom of the eighth gave up two runs, recorded just two outs. He gave up a double, a single, and a walk, and issued a wild pitch. And so Davey Martinez ended up going to a sixth reliever, Josh Rogers, who ended up throwing one pitch. Uh, Rogers had to be brought into the game to get the final out in the bottom of the eighth. He threw one pitch and got the out. Uh, next up for the Nats, a four-game series at the second-worst team in the National League, the Cincinnati Reds. The Nats are the worst team in the NL. The Reds are the second-worst team in the NL. So we will have a battle of the two worst teams in the National League. Nats at the Reds, uh, game one, Thursday evening at 6.40. Joanna Doan will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Well, make it four consecutive blowout results for the Orioles. Uh, each of their last four games now has resulted in a blowout win or a blowout loss. Uh, go figure. Uh, this past Sunday afternoon, a 12-2 loss at the Boston Red Sox. This past Monday night, a 10-0 win at the Red Sox. This past Tuesday night, a 10-0 loss to the Seattle Mariners at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And now on Wednesday night, 
a 9-2 win over the Mariners at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's this season now are 22-30. and 30. Tremendous game for the Orioles offense on Wednesday night. The O's totaled 10 hits and 6 walks, went 4-6 with runners in scoring position. Seven of the 10 hits were extra base hits, four home runs, and three doubles. Uh, Trey Mancini is rolling right now. He's the Orioles' starting first baseman and number two batter. Went two for four with a two-run homer and a double. He and the Orioles, a five-run sixth, hit a two-out full count two-run homer. Uh, Mancini now has his OPS for the season up to 802. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle has the Orioles starting DH and number five batter, one for two with a solo homer and two walks. He and that Orioles five-run six blasted a leadoff full count homer despite having been down to the count at 1.02. Rugnet Odor as the Orioles starting second base, but a number seven batter, one for three with a three-run homer and a walk. He and the Orioles three-run second, smashed a one-out first pitch, three-run homer. And Ramon Arias as the Orioles starting third baseman and number six batter, one for four with a solo homer, which came in that Orioles five-run six. Yes, the Orioles in that five-run six hit three home runs. So some really good stuff from the Orioles lineup on Wednesday night. Uh, Kyle Bradish was the Orioles' starting pitcher on Wednesday night. He had really struggled in each of his previous three starts. Yeah, on Wednesday night was better. Still not great, but he was better. Uh, two runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, a double, and four singles. He issued two walks, but he did have six strikeouts. He threw 80 pitches over the four and two-thirds innings. Uh, Bradish this season now with an ERA of 682. Uh, O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Kyle Bradish. Really impressed. I mean, he was throwing 98 miles an hour in the first inning. It, it was, there was... There was some intent there with every pitch. Uh, I thought his command was was much better than it was his last start. I thought his stuff was really good. Um, Kyle's going to be a really good starting pitcher in this league, and you know it's he's a tough at bat. Um, did a really good job. He only walked a couple guys, you know, punched out six and four and two thirds. Yeah, you know, Kyle Bradish, since that great start at the St. Louis Cardinals, has not been the same guy. Uh, Bradish, in a 5-3 win at the Cardinals on May 10th, was outstanding. Two runs in seven innings, 11 strikeouts versus no walks. Since then, much different results, but he was better on Wednesday night. And he only has made seven major league starts. I mean, you got to give the guy time uh, to grow here. Uh, also, on Wednesday night for the O's was another great game for their bullpen. Boy, the Orioles' bullpen has been so good this season. Three Orioles relievers on Wednesday night combined for four and a third scoreless innings. CNL Perez, one and a third scoreless innings, lowering his ERA for the season to 0.55. Felix Batista tossed a scoreless top of the seventh, lowering his ERA for the season to 214. Keegan Aiken tossed two scoreless innings, lowering his ERA for the season to 160. The O's this season now are number five in the majors in relief pitching ERA at 322. Uh, we also have this on Wednesday night. Grayson Rodriguez left his start for AAA Norfolk uh, due to right lat discomfort. The last thing you want to hear about with Grayson Rodriguez is any kind of an injury. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, a.k.a. Grayrod, he had a 9-8-10 inning home loss for the AAA Norfolk Tides to the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp on Wednesday night 
Five and two-thirds scoreless innings. You love that, but he left the outing due to right lat discomfort. His elbow wasn't a problem or anything like that. We'll see what the deal is with the lat. Uh, Still, Rodriguez was good again on Wednesday night. He for Norfolk now this season, 11 starts, ERA at 209, whip of 0.84, and the strikeouts per nine innings of 12.86. He certainly seems to be major league ready, and you would think that sooner rather than later, he'll be making it his Major League regular season debut for the O's. Uh, MLB Pipeline ranks Grayson Rodriguez as the number three prospect in baseball and the number one pitching prospect in baseball. Game three for the O's against the Mariners at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Thursday night at 7.05. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 328, will feature much more on the commanders. I'm going to talk about our starting quarterback, Carson Wentz, off some things that head coach Rod Rivera at his post-OTA practice press conference on Wednesday morning said regarding Wentz. Uh, Also on Friday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Game one of a four-game series for the Nats at the Cincinnati Reds is on Thursday evening at 6.40. Game three for the O's in their three-game series against the Seattle Mariners at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Thursday night at 7.05. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. (laughs) Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.